Hi, I'm Piper. And I'm Erin. And welcome to Off the Tracks Podcast, where we explore what it means to do law differently. Today, we're joined by Lisa Dancer, and we're so excited she's here. She is the founder of Canada's largest legal career community, Law Job Exchange. And you've probably heard of it, or you're a member of the Facebook group. Um, Lisa is a law grad herself, and she transitioned transitioned into a career as a legal recruiter, both in her own recruiting business and eventually in-house at Shopify. She currently works at Shopify in talent acquisition and runs a legal career coaching service outside of business hours. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you both for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, Yeah, we're very excited to have you here. Both Piper and I have benefited from the online community and the Facebook page. So thank you very much. And we've also had uh, some coaching with Lisa as well, which has been amazing. So we're so excited to have you as one of our first guests on the podcast. Uh, And as I said earlier, I'm just here uh, writing off your coattails of fame. Like I'm just looking to get famous. So (laughs) So we're so right place for sure. (laughs) Definitely come to the right place. So yeah, thank you. Um, So to get the conversation started, what led you to choose law school or a legal career, and has that changed or evolved over time? Great question. So I, um, so I actually was a musician. I worked in the music business for a long time, uh, and with the idea that I would be one day be the next Britney Spears, that was the goal. Well, um, that, you weren't. If you, I don't know if you've heard of talking. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad it didn't work out. Actually, um, <laughs> but also, fun fact, Lisa, like um, a little bit of an idol story, I believe, is something. <laughs> Correct. Well, yes, yes, definitely have uh, have been on um, well one season of uh, of Canadian Idol, Um, and pretty much like any place that would let me audition, I was present. (laughs) So, um, so I got to see a lot of you know the music business, both the good and the ugly. A lot of the ugly, actually, uh, and uh, more particularly in my own experience, just kind of terrible contracts, terrible arrangements between artists and labels and publishers. And so that's sort of what started to get me interested in, um, you know, how can we actually protect artists and allow them to kind of evolve in art and continue to create while also actually making money (laughs) uh, and not signing their life away. So that was um, what kind of led me to law school initially. Uh, And I had the opportunity to work for a lawyer who really pushed me in that direction. I mean, he was kind of instrumental uh, and said, you know, hey, if you want to do this, you know, law school would be a great way for you to achieve that. And so, um, yeah, so that's how I ended up uh, in law school with that idea. Um, I quickly realized that basically uh, what I, what that meant would be that I'd be practicing corporate commercial law. I didn't know that. I thought it'd be like, there's like an entertainment law stream and then, you know, you kind of sail into the sunset. But Turns out it's all just contracts. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so things changed, but, um, you know, I, I still wanted to find a way to help people. I think that was kind of always the goal, no matter what. Um, so that always was really what I intended to do no matter what, but, um, you know, obviously not, uh, an entertainment lawyer right now, but I, I think that that. Um, that ability to kind of uh, look for ways to help people that are kind of more vulnerable or need, um, you know, help. I mean, has always been instrumental in my in my development anyway. So that that hasn't changed. So even if I, you know, don't currently practice law, I mean, that was kind of the basis of everything in the start of it all. Right. That's, that's awesome. 
That's yeah. so, and I think that's really unique too. I remember getting to law school and um, I had gone to law school like straight through university and Aaron had taken one year off to work. But I remember coming to law school and being so blown away by the people who had had previous careers. I think I came from a world where I didn't even realize that that was a possibility. And I learned so much from my peers who had been teachers or nurses or worked in really cool jobs in policy and other unique avenues. Um, and I think that it really like added to the community and like sort of the conversations that you have in the classroom. So I'm sure that that was like a really interesting background for you to kind of come into law with. Um, and I'm sure that any sort of coffee houses at your law school really benefited. <laughs> I, yeah, it was definitely yes, for sure. The one thing I will say is that, you know, to your point about being surrounded by really incredible people, I mean, I definitely suffered from imposter syndrome coming into law school. Like people would always be impressed with what I had done. But then when I would hear what others had done, I really didn't always feel like I belonged. Um, uh, so so, so yeah, so that was interesting, kind of uh, an interesting theme for me for the first, I'd say the first year particularly, then eventually things started to kind of fall into place and I found my way. But first year, I was just blown away by just the sheer intelligence of the people around me. Yeah, I definitely, yeah. I feel like I had a really similar experience. I just was sort of shell-shocked. And then like, like you said, like finding your way um, afterwards. I think I'm still kind of finding my way. <laughs> and I think Aaron and Lee, we, we're up. we all are. <laughs> we find our way together. But um, yeah, definitely. So Lisa, if you could go back to that law school time and do something differently, um, is there anything that you would you would change or sort of reassess now with 2020 vision? I honestly I, I thought about this question quite a bit. Um and at first I'm like, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff, but now I just, I don't think I would change anything. It was bumpy. It wasn't always uh, pretty. Uh, <laughs> there were tears, there was frustration, uh, happiness, a lot of, you know, great friendships made. And I just think like it just happened the way it was meant to happen. So no, I don't have any regrets or anything I would change. I think the only thing, um, if I could go back and talk to Lisa, like little Lisa in first year, <laughs> I would just tell her that, you know, um, it's okay if you don't land an articling position on Bay Street, like you have not failed. Um, <laughs> you're, you're still going to be fine. So, so I think that really would be it. And just kind of maybe informing myself or, or researching a little bit more on the different types of careers that I, that I could have in law, right. And not just kind of going with that one laser focus. Um, but overall there really isn't much I would change, I think. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I think that is a common trend in law school that people come in, uh, with different ideas and it's really easy to get pulled into that Bay street mentality. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even know what Bay street was before I went to law school. Like I, I, I'm from, I'm from Montreal. Like why yeah. didn't I want, why did I want to go to Bay street? Like what am I, I doing? I'm not sure. I know what it is. Like it's a street in Toronto. Like I'm pretty yeah. sure I've walked on it and gotten lost. I'm not a hundred percent positive. Right. Yeah. So, it's definitely, I think that you're right. You get kind of swept up in it. And even if you went to school and you had an idea of what you wanted to do initially, then mm -hmm. at all of the events and all the things that happen around you, you just kind of think, well, okay, well, I should do this too. I mean, it's what everyone's doing. Right. So, yeah. 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 But I, that's one thing I really enjoy about the, um, 
the online forum that you've created is that there's a lot of different opportunities that are shared there that are not necessarily the big law jobs. And it really shows the diversity of options that are available for students and lawyers at any stage of life to make those sorts of career changes and transitions. Exactly. And I mean, I think when I was in law school, there was really not a big emphasis on these other types of careers. And even just honestly, careers in small or mid-sized firms, like just traditional in that sense. Um, but now I've, you know, I, I'm still in touch with um, the, the, um, the dean at the law at U Ottawa and, and so on. And they have made a lot of changes where they're actually talking about it a little bit more and they're bringing in uh, people with different backgrounds who have, you know, tried different things. And I think it's nice because there's that, at least that exposure, like we're not telling people this is what you have to do, but we're saying, Hey, it's okay. There are other things. Actually, this degree opens up a lot more doors than you think. And so things have changed since, you know, I graduated, which I'm happy to see. Yeah, that's great to hear. And I think one of the main reasons people get pulled to Bay Street is student debt. You know, you take on a bunch of student debt uh, to go to law school and, and very lucrative option is, is pursuing that Bay Street path. But Can you tell us a bit more about how you have handled student debt and how you've managed to um, do that, even though you're not uh, practicing on Bay Street? Yes. So I'm not practicing at all. (laughs) So um, (laughs) never mind Bay Street. So yeah. So when I, when I realized that I wouldn't be practicing, I panicked a little bit because I didn't know how I was going to pay off my student loans. But um, I paid for school all on my own. Um, you know, going into law school was my decision. So I, you know, I paid for it, but I worked crazy hours during law school. I worked, I had, at one point I had two jobs. Um, I don't recommend it. It's ridiculous. Like it's, you know, it was bad. Um, and, and of course, you know, my grades were, I think my grades were, were pretty average. I probably could have done better if I wasn't working, you know, a full-time job essentially. Um, so, I put a lot of pressure on myself to not try not to accumulate too much debt. I, I honestly, I didn't have like a ton of fun in law school. Like my friends would go out and have all this stuff. I can't spend all that extra money. Right. So I was a little bit older too than my, my peers. And some, so I think that was fine, but I put, I put a lot of emphasis on trying to not spend too much while I was in law school. However, I did still have some student debt when I came out of it. Um, and the, one of the first things I did was actually go see a financial advisor, even though I didn't have any money, <laughs> you know, I was like, what are we investing? I have no money. Um, but just to understand, uh, just to speak about what a strategy could look like once I do have a little bit more money, it can start to kind of set aside. So for me, it's been important to kind of invest in the market, um, while paying down my student loans, so sort of like splitting it in a sense. So paying it down, but also investing. So not taking all of my money and throwing it onto my student debt. And that actually has made me pay my debt faster than I could have thought was possible. Um, so I'm, and you know, I'm going to be honest, like I, you know, I joined Shopify at a really good time, you know, um, I I was able to, uh, benefit from the amazing, you know, uh, success of the company as well. Right. So that really helped me. Um, but I would say like going to see a financial advisor, even if you don't have any money right now and you're feeling like, what's the point, at least it's going to give you an idea, um, of, you know, what you can do once you start seeing a little bit more money, once you have some disposable income, at least there's a plan, there's a strategy and you can start implementing it when you're ready. You'll feel like a little more confident, um, and a little less scared, I think. No, 
Lisa, that's such great advice. And it's so funny. Erin and I were just talking on the phone the other day. I just went and saw my financial advisor at the bank. And I actually said to him, it's the second time I've uh, met with him. And I said to him, I feel so bad. I feel like I come to you so preemptively with no money and just big (laughs) plans. And I feel like I'm wasting your time. And he said, no, this is fantastic. Like you're really trying to take control of the debt and your financial future and making a plan is like the first step. So I really appreciate you saying that because it, I literally was at the bank two days ago, um, doing exactly that. And so, um, yeah, definitely in the position that you're describing, maybe like a little while ago, like the no money, all this debt, but making plans. Um, but I'm grateful to sort of see what the future of that could look like conversation. (laughs) For sure. I think it's just nice to speak to an expert. Like we always try to solve all these problems on our own when we actually don't have the the knowledge, which I didn't. Right. And, and, um, you know, I didn't cut my, my father is a, um, an immigrant in Canada. He, he came here, I think it was 1972 from Greece. Uh, he went straight to work when he was 15 years old. He didn't go to school. He just worked, worked, worked. Um, and he did, like, I didn't really learn a lot about money <laughs> through my, my parents. I just knew they liked to save, but that was pretty much it. They didn't do things like invest in the stock market or RSPs or any of that. So I needed to learn and educate myself and Google is great, but it's nice to actually speak with a human being too. (laughs) (laughs) You know, people. (laughs) Especially nowadays when we're so deaf, it's always nice to speak to another person. Just Um, anyone, just anyone. anyone. (laughs) (laughs) No, absolutely. So Lisa, I think we know that there are obviously issues, both like small scale and large scale in the legal community, whether that's debt or mental health or being funneled towards sort of one track uh, when you're in law school. But is there sort of one thing that if you had kind of a magic wand, you would hope to change about the current state of the legal profession? Yes, this one is easy for me to, I I can answer this right away. Um, So really for me, the treatment of uh, internationally trained lawyers. Uh, So kind of rewind a little bit. When I was in law school, I'm going to be honest, I had no idea that there were people, you know, that, I mean, there were, I knew there were internationally trained lawyers, but I didn't understand the path that they had to take to actually access the profession. I just figured there was an exam, they wrote the exam and then, you know, that was it. I didn't know that there were really these massive barriers to entry Um, and barriers to entry. I almost kind of expected, I figured, okay, like, you know, because you're from a different jurisdiction, there's some challenges. Maybe people don't, um, you know, uh, know or understand the law in, in your home country. And so, you know, that's fine. Um, but the sheer, for better, lack of a better word, sort of racism and discrimination uh, is actually, uh, you know, shocking. Um, and through Law Job Exchange, I've had a lot of internationally trained lawyers reach out to me to help them find work. So of course, in the beginning, naively, I was like, yes, of course, let me just like introduce you to everyone I know. And, you know, and I just didn't get the same response from my own network that I normally would get if I introduced, you know, uh, yourself, Piper, or, you know, if I introduced anyone, anyone else that was trained in Canada. So um, that was a big realization for me, um, starting to realize too that, hey, 
how come these internationally trained lawyers are not getting paid for articling <laughs> or, you know, these kinds of really glaring issues. So for me, if I could, if I could change anything, I think that would be it. I mean, I know that it's a complex problem. It's not one that can be solved overnight, but we have to start making some strides because um, it's, it's really come to a point where there's really just a divide, a divide between these two um, populations. And it's, it's, it's kind of disturbing, <laughs> best word to, to describe it. And, you know, um, I think a lot of people have good intentions and will say a lot of things publicly about how they want to help internationally trained lawyers, but I really haven't seen concrete action. So I don't know. It's, it's a tough one for sure. And it, it actually, if it's, it's the one thing that keeps me up at night about the profession for sure. Yeah. And Lisa, I definitely, I mean, Aaron and I have both seen those posts in Law Job Exchange. And I think I'm so horrified when I think about how little money people make off Bay Street articling in general, um, and then not getting paid for it at all is just horrifying and so wrong and wouldn't be allowed in virtually any other profession. Um, it's just atrocious. But it's really interesting because um, I run this bar exam coaching business and a lot of my uh, clients are internationally trained lawyers, mm -hmm. whether, and I think that there are two um, sort of two routes of internationally yeah. trained lawyers, if that makes sense. There's lawyers who are Canadian and went to law school abroad and came back. Mm -hmm. And so they're starting their careers in Canada. And then there are other people who became lawyers in their home country, practiced sometimes for five, 10, 15, even 20 years, and then moved to Canada. And so I'm sure you've experienced both um, as well. Yeah. And it's just so heartbreaking to me when there are all of these barriers. Um, and the barrier that I work with them with is the bar exam. And the barrier that you help people with is getting the job post NCA, post bar exam. But it's just like, when when is there any sliver of like a lucky break or any, exactly. um, any sort of like help readily available? Um, there's just so much that they have to sort of wade through and figure out on their own. And I think a lot of it, like you said, even with the bar exam, um, are like discriminatory practices made to sort of gatekeep and keep people out who really, really, really are so talented and have so much to contribute. Yeah. And for some reason, the profession just doesn't want um, to let to make that easy for them. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is earlier, I said, you know, when I first started trying to help internationally trained lawyers, I would introduce, you know, key them to my network and wouldn't really get that response I expected. But ever since I've been a lot more vocal about, you know, my views <laughs> on the subject, um, if I have introduced an internationally trained lawyer to someone, they have almost always helped them in some way. And so that's why I say, you know, if you have an opinion on this topic, say, say something, because um, the more we talk about it, the more it'll be, you know, the more people will know that it's, it's an issue and the more people will be open to employing internationally trained lawyers. Like I have so many examples of, uh, you know, one person was a very successful trademark uh, IP lawyer um, in, I believe, Barbados, uh, like was, you know, 
administering international files, like we're talking like Disney, Pepsi, whatever, huge trademarks, just obviously she was based in Barbados um, and came to Canada, did all of the things, the NCA exams, the bar exams. She was exempt from articling because of her massive experience, um, but nobody would hire her in IP, which was insane to me. I was like, you have a lawyer who has international IP experience. Do you not see the value? So I just one day literally emailed every single IP lawyer I knew. And I was like, somebody needs to hire this girl. Like, you can't tell me that this person is not viable to you. And she did get hired through, you know, <laughs> through me kind of pushing and, and trying to get her uh, meetings. Um, and, but, but it was, it was mind blowing to see that, you know, we had to go through that much effort for someone who had over, you know, 10 years of experience in international trademarks. Like what, how, anyway. I can go on and on about this. <laughs> this is a whole podcast episode. <laughs> no, for sure. And it's also so difficult to see. I've seen a lot of people on those posts too, talking about how they've been underemployed as well. So yes. have to take, and there's nothing wrong with practicing in other areas of the legal profession, but when it's not by choice and it's on, as a result of the profession being unwelcoming to those trained lawyers, I find that extremely problematic as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I get, I have to say, I get uh, probably on a weekly basis between, you know, 60 to 100 messages on Law Job Exchange, just random, you know, questions, people wanting to post. And I'm going to say like a good, you know, half of that is from internationally trained lawyers um, reaching out about different things. Uh, usually jobs, you know, just sometimes it's just, they just want to talk to someone, you know, and like ask, you know, Hey, am I crazy? Or is this actually happening? Is this real? Or is it just me? Is there something wrong with me? Um, so yeah, I don't know what the solution is, but uh, you know, I'm proud of, of the work that we've done with Law Job Exchange to make this a lot more public and, and to have the conversations. And I think that is helping, but uh, certainly more has to be done um, to, to help, I think in this in this case. Yeah, definitely. And I think that starting the conversation, raising awareness about the issue is, is a great place to start. So thanks for doing that, Lisa. Yeah. Another conversation that we really need to start having more in the legal profession is how we take care of our mental health. So Lisa, how have you been taking care of your mental health and how has that changed? I know a pandemic can really uh, change what avenues you have available to you. We can't do the traditional things. And so we're a bit more limited, but we'd love to know more about how you've been taking care of yourself. So honestly, uh, okay. So I recently learned that uh, burnout um, is not just you kind of one day wake up and you're like, I'm burnt out. Like, that's not what happens, right? Um, so you get, you get, a, <laughs> it's kind of a combination of things. Um, but one, one of my colleagues actually at work said, you know, hey, Lisa, burnout can be just um, not being able to get out of bed, not having kind of the desire to do anything, feeling like you have the flu constantly is another a symptom of burnout. Like you're sick, but there's really nothing wrong. You're just constantly physically sick. And so um, I realized after having these conversations that I've probably experienced burnout and I just kind of squished it and pretended like it wasn't happening. So I, you know, I have to be honest, like I have never really been one to prioritize mental health. I just always was like just striving to 
you know, uh, get to where I needed to go and uh, kind of repress any feelings of weakness or of burnout or any of those things. And so this past year, however, you know, having spent so much time at home with my kids and my husband, um, you know, something had to be done. And uh, I was very skeptical of things like meditation and mindfulness. It's like, I don't think I can get into this. I don't like quiet, <laughs> things like that. Um, but I actually attended a mindfulness session with a lawyer. So her name is Manisha and she hosts these mindfulness sessions. And I thought, Hey, you know what? I'm on board. She's a lawyer. I have something in common with her. You know, let's, let's see what this is about. And it was truly incredible. Um, I really got into it. I wasn't my usual cynical self, which was really good. Um, and then I'm that person now that has an app on my phone and, you know, listens to a guided meditation, you know, before bed. Uh, and it's a small change, but it makes a difference. So just carving that time out for yourself in your calendar, even if it's just 10 minutes, I mean, for me has been, has been huge. Uh, and I've even started to, uh, incorporate, you know, things like exercise, of course, everybody knows that, but really, truly actually putting it in my calendar during the day. And, you know, I have a spin bike in my room. I just hop on it for a couple of minutes, get that, you know, energy out. Yes. I see you. <laughs> uh, I know. I see you, Piper. I, I know. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I'm good. I'm not, I'm not any good, <laughs> any good at it, but it's so much fun, you know, and something good. It's just about having the best time. It, yeah. And it really is like, you don't have to, like I said, guided meditation is great, but if that's not your thing, you know, physical activity is also equally awesome. Right. So, um, but yes, I neglected this for a very long time and I didn't realize kind of the repercussions it was having on my health, not just my mental health, but my physical health as well. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, slowly getting better, but, but I'm curious to know about you, if uh, you Piper, maybe you could share as well. Um, it's so funny. Aaron and I are always talking about different things to deal with our mental health um, yeah. <laughs> and things like that. Just on Thursday, I did a workout and I said, Aaron, you have to go do this workout right now. And then <laughs> a few hours later, I was either texting Aaron or calling Aaron and she wasn't responding. Um, and Aaron and I are available 24 seven <laughs> to each other. Yeah. And um, yeah. she texted me back and said, I'm so sorry. I was just doing the workout you told me to do. Um, wow. but, uh, but for me, it's definitely the physical activity. I'm one of these really weird people that I have to work out within about 10 minutes of waking up. Um, if I mean, I will work out later in the day, but not happily. Right. Um, <laughs> I much prefer to wake up like when they're sorry to work out when there's still like sleep in my eyes and I don't even really know what time of day it is and things like that. Um, but for me, um, and I really, like you said before, uh, there's so many topics we could do like a whole podcast episode on, but for me in my first year of law school, I gained 80 pounds. And that was a combination of not taking care of my physical and mental health. And uh, the summer between first year and second year, I said like something isn't right. And I um, rectified um, the habits and um, the mental health issues that I was dealing with um, and worked towards becoming healthier, both physically and mentally. Um, and that has just led me to making exercise a real priority in my routine. And I don't mean this in a preachy way because I think that everybody's mental health and physical health looks different. You can be healthy and you can not exercise regularly. Um, but for me, 
uh, I, I, in between first and second year law school, I started exercising because I needed to for my physical health. I was really physically unhealthy, but now I exercise each day for my mental health. It is, I would say like 99% about my mental health and 1% about my physical health. I just feel so much better um, when I move my body and happier. And I feel like it's like um, some days I really want a challenge. Other days I want to have a ton of fun, like a spin class. Mm-hmm. And then some days it's like a mix of both and I pick workouts accordingly. Um, but yeah, that's so great that, um, you've incorporated that. And I also, am sure that you, um, it's a great release for your mental health and physical health, probably chasing after you have two young boys, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> Oh gosh. Yeah. I should, I should, I should just sell the spin bike, honestly, because there are just, there are plenty of exercise. <laughs> Lisa, how old are they? Uh, one and four, uh, almost four. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. It's wild. It's wild. And I'm, I'm severely outnumbered too. I've got two, uh, male, uh, wiener dogs. I've got, you know, two oh my gosh. around, of course, Mark, my husband. So, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but I did want to, I did want to add, um, one piece is that, um, you know, when I was writing the, the bar exams, the Quebec bar exams, cause I was, um, that's kind of was my path. Uh, I went through for the first time in my life, um, severe panic attacks. Like I would wake up in the middle of the night panicking and went to the hospital multiple times, like thinking I was having a heart attack, which was just something I had never experienced before. Um, and at that time, um, I actually did go see a therapist, uh, and you know, it's something that I don't do anymore, but I also think is good to have. And even if you don't experience anxiety, even if you don't experience panic attacks, things like that, just having someone to talk to that outside of your regular bubble circle, you know, in law is great. Like, even if it's just a friend who knows nothing about the legal profession, um, I find that's therapeutic in itself and really helps with, with, um, you know, with a lot of these issues, at least for me, it did. So for myself, I went to see a professional because it was really getting out of hand, but I think, um, just now day to day, I really enjoy, you know, just speaking to friends who really don't know anything about all the stuff we're talking about. Like they have no idea. They don't want to know. Um, and I find for me that has made the world of a difference as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Piper and I love therapy. We're big proponents of therapy and we often talk to each other about what we're working through in therapy and, just this last week, um, I was speaking with my therapist about the burnout cycle. And I've even been finding myself in this situation where I work myself to absolute exhaustion and then I have no energy. And so I'm just for a few days, it's, it's doing the absolute bare minimum to get me through the days. And then once I feel a bit rested, I am consumed with guilt that I didn't do all that work those last few days. So then I worked myself again. Mm-hmm. And even though we just talked about it with my therapist, I did it again this week. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's been a slow unlearning. Um, but it's definitely helpful to to see a therapist and work through that and have someone outside of law as well. She uh, is not... A, and affiliated with lawyers or law at all. So that's been a a fresh perspective, Um, but it's been really helpful. And one thing that she's challenged me to do recently is take email off, like my work email off my phone. And so I've started to do that on the weekends and it is game changing. (laughs) 
it's such a, it's a small change, but it makes a, like a huge difference. It's, I have the same, I mean, um, at work, you know, we use uh, Slack. I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with Slack, but yeah. oh, you know, it's always on and you, and, and there's this kind of feeling of you have to respond immediately because it's not, an email. I feel like there's an acceptable social norm where you're like, it's an email. I can take like a day maybe unless they tell me it's urgent. Right. Whereas with this messenger, it's like if as soon as you get the message, you get the urge to respond right away and you could easily just spend all day on Slack responding to messages. So for me, it was deleting Slack off my phone um, yeah. and then my email. <laughs> so same. <laughs> no, absolutely. So Lisa, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Erin and I are trying this thing out where at the end of every episode, we would love if we asked all of our guests the same finishing question, because I think we all have so much to learn from each other in general through these conversations. But Erin and I are also looking to pick up new skills, um, new things to do during this ongoing pandemic. So it's a bit of a selfish question, but we feel like it can help everyone. Um, So we're wondering, Lisa, is there something that you've learned recently in any sort of avenue in your life? Yes. Okay. So I said earlier that I was, I'm a musician or I, you know, I sang, I wrote songs, I did all these things. Um, and I played, you know, when I was in school, I played instruments, but I actually never learned how to play music. So I played everything by ear, uh, unsuspecting my (laughs) teachers never knew. I just kind of did it. Um, and I, I don't know if it was just lazy and it was just easier for me to just play what I heard. But as a result, I never learned how to read music. So I started to teach myself how to read music recently because it's actually just, I'm just embarrassed. I'm like, you know, everybody sees me as, you know, a musician or as a singer and I never actually knew how to read a note. So that's kind of what I've been working on during the pandemic. And I'm really proud because, uh, yeah, like that's a long time to pretend I knew how to do it. That's (laughs) incredible. Do you have instruments in your home? I do. So we have, um, we have a piano. I have my old saxophone as well. Uh, and we don't have a drum kit. I used to play drums as well, but we don't. You're the best with your two young boys. Yeah. They're, you know, although nowadays we have electric drum kits, which is pretty cool, but, um, maybe we'll pick one up one day, but yeah, so we do have instruments. We have guitars. We have a lot of instruments around the house, which is really nice. That's I'm so jealous though, of your ability to play by ear. I grew up, um, playing classical piano and I can read music. Yeah. And when I was, uh, we sort of had this, I mean, I'm not sure if my parents would agree, but we, I, I was under the impression that we had this rule in our house that as long as you lived in the home, you played a classical um, instrument. So Ooh. I grew up playing classical piano and my sister grew up playing classical guitar. So I took lessons from the ages of four to 18. And then I went away to university, but, uh, one or two of the summers that I came home from university, I remember asking and taking piano lessons with my old teacher. And she's still a really big part of my life. I still, um, I mean, when it was summertime during the pandemic and things, cases were almost like zero here in in Manitoba where I live for some walks. Um, but I mean, I can't play by ear at all. And mm-hmm. I was always so jealous. I always viewed the people who could um, play by ear and just pick something up like that um, as people who were so naturally gifted. And for me, piano was something I always had to work so hard on. Like it didn't come naturally to me at all. So I think that that's so interesting how you're sitting here saying, I was so embarrassed and I feel like I- <laughs> Isn't that funny? Oh my gosh, perspective. 
And I was living a lie. (laughs) I'm so jealous. Um, I always wish I could play by ear. I sometimes, I mean, not nowadays, but in the before times, if I would go to someone's house and they had a piano and they'd say, oh, Piper, play something. I'm not someone who can just sit down and play something even after what seemed like a million years of classical piano and bajillion hours of practice. So, no, I'm so jealous. So, oh, wow. Learn to play by (laughs) ear, but I don't really think that's something you just learned. Uh, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, um, yeah, I I have to say the the one thing I will say is that I would like to actually take formal lessons one day, because I think that obviously there is a method, right. And a proper way to play. Whereas I'm just like this wild beast that just sits on the piano and does whatever. But, uh, but I think, yeah, I think that'd be a fun thing to do actually to, you know, start from scratch and, and learn how to play. I think that'd be, that'd be interesting. Yeah. I am not musically talented in any way, shape or form (laughs) by ear and I can't play everything music you can start now Erin there's always today you can always start if you want yeah it's it's almost Valentine's Day and my boyfriend when we were in law school I actually um thought that you know trying to learn music I always said oh I want to learn how to play the guitar and so for Valentine's Day he got he rented a guitar for me and bought me some books to learn how to play and I maybe picked it up once or twice but <laughs> so maybe I should visit that but um it was, it was a sweet idea but yeah I'm just I just don't know if I have it in me I just wasn't born with that gene my sister has it I don't have it <laughs> yeah it's guitar is tough too though I mean it's like physically actually hurts to play guitar which yeah. I think is a barrier for me I'm like nope this hurts you can't do that <laughs> So, but yeah, it's fun. Yeah. I, well, I that's a great question. So, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to it's like clarinet in middle school when we had to pick an instrument, but oh. I, I don't think it was very actually clarinet is painful too because it's same for for saxophone when you first start playing right because the way that the instrument sits on your on your bottom lip I remember I used to bleed like it's yeah, yeah it's not it's not yeah. fun fun at first yeah in the middle school with braces it was just a bad combo oh no <laughs> oh yeah that 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 sounds like it hurt <laughs> I don't know how we got well, here thank you so much Lisa for coming coming on the show I know um we've really enjoyed this conversation we've covered a wide range of topics and we've both really enjoyed it. Um, and so thank you so much for taking your time to speak with us and allowing us to learn a bit more about how you've used your law degree and, and how it's taken you to where you are now. Well, thank you for having me. And I can't wait to listen to, uh, all of your future episodes. Yeah, absolutely. And for anyone listening, thank you so much for tuning in. I know that there's so much to learn from Lisa and the community that she's created online. We'll link Law Job Exchange in the episode notes so that if you're not a part of the community, um, now is the time to join. Um, You'll never know what you'll find on that Facebook group, whether it's a job posting for your next role or just really interesting conversation about the legal community at large. Um, But if you're looking for more um, of the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram at Off The Tracks Podcast and stay tuned for our next episode in a couple weeks. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye.